0: There are four of us and one of you. We'll get some more guys, and then it'll be an even fight. (laughs) You can settle for an ordinary life. I dare you to do better. Nice ride, huh? Cheers. Look out there now, Mister Crook. You got it. it,
1: it! Star Trek rated (laughs) PG-13.
2: Hey everyone, it's Rico, and that's another TV spot from that little movie called Star Trek that's just less than now two weeks away from premiering just about everywhere, and people all over the world are getting to see it before me, and I'm not jealous. No, not really. Well, maybe a little. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to be talking about an original series episode uh, today, a two-parter called The Menagerie. We're also going to be covering, of course, things about the movie, lots to talk about there, Uh, a few other news uh, bits and announcements and things, uh, you know, just usual treks in sci-fi stuff. Also, uh, a collectible I'm going to talk about later on in the show related to the movie. Uh, Just whole kinds of good uh, geeky goodness. This is a podcast, what are we at, Uh, 224. It is April the 26th, 2009. And this is Treks in Sci-Fi. back to the show, everyone. This is Rico, your typical, usual host for Treks in Sci-Fi. Typical and usual. Isn't that kind of redundant? I don't know. Anyway, uh, gonna have a good show for you this week, I think. Uh, Lots of fun, lots of things to cover. Uh, Last week's show was a little different, and uh, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback uh, about the little inner Rico show when uh, Rick Moyer and I basically chatted. He kind of interviewed me, asked me some, uh, you know very deep and thought-provoking questions and uh it kind of led to some ideas for future shows maybe uh maybe getting a few more people on with me to cover episodes and things like that. And we'll try to mix that in as best we can uh, with uh, the show and the podcast in general. Uh, Going to uh, always try to continue to keep Trex and Sci-Fi kind of fresh and different uh, and not uh, just kind of uh, fall into a little rut or anything like that. And right now with the new movie, less than two weeks away, we have so much to talk about. It's uh, it, it's just Almost like a, a little daunting each week. I see, or each each week, even each day, I see so many new stories. The uh, they're covering the movie all over the place. Magazines are really starting to show up with articles on it. Newsweek has got one out. Uh, it's just all over the place, and I, I hope it uh, it all ends up good. I, I really think it will. A lot of the early reviews are in. I only am hearing the the bottom line, and and I haven't really heard anything negative at all, which is. Uh, you know, it's not a surprise to me. I, I think, uh, you know, this has been a long time in coming, almost seven years since we've had Star Trek on the big screen again. Uh, Enterprise went off the air back in, you know, 2005, right around the time I started the podcast. So, you know, almost four years uh, since I began the show. It will be at least this fall. And now that we're getting a new Trek movie and, and hopefully possibly another one or uh, not too long after that, and who knows, maybe another TV series. So just tons of things to cover on Treks in sci-fi. And I, as always, I always... Th- I haven't done it really maybe specifically in a while, but I just want to thank everyone, people that have listened, you know, from the very beginning, people that may be just tuning in recently due to all the Star Trek fervor and excitement going on. This, uh, you know, is a show about Star Trek, but we also cover Star Wars, science fiction. And lots of other topics, other TV shows and movies. Uh, you know, I even did you know things about the Wizard of Oz a few weeks ago. Some video casts. So again, we really try to mix it up uh, along that uh, line a little bit. I just wanted to mention that I will be uh, at uh, and going to the Novi, Michigan, uh, Motor City Comic Con that they have pretty much every May. This uh, will be the weekend of May fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. I will probably. Uh, 99% sure be at the convention on Saturday the 16th. We've got a big guest uh, this year, Carrie Fisher. Princess Leia is going to be there, which will be great because I've never really seen her, I think, at a convention. She doesn't come out this way very often, so uh, that'll be fun. A lot of other guests, uh, Garrett Wong from um, Voyager will be there, Tony Todd, another Star Trek uh, guest. And just the lots of other celebrities. I did a little video show from it last year, and I'll probably try to do something like that this year. But I wanted to mention it. Anyone who happens to be in Michigan, Ohio area or even Canada uh, that uh, might be want to, you know, maybe meet up. I've met a couple of people there in the past uh, who listen to the podcast. You know, shoot me an email, treksf at com and let me know. I'd uh, be happy to say hello, have a little hot dog from the vendors there, and just chat a little bit. Also, uh, James is going to be there. The Star Trek New Voyage is now. Star Trek Phase 2 guy, uh, and he's going to be showing his uh, fan film "A Blood and Fire. I think the entire film will be ready by then. They've only shown the first part of it on the web so far, so that'll be exciting. I'd like to be able to get a chance to talk to him a little bit. I'll hopefully maybe be able to do that to at least, uh, if you give some kind of a talk, maybe ask him a couple of questions and things. So uh, lots to cover, and hey, let's get to it. Uh, just a few announcements and things before we get into the uh, heart of the show uh, and cover the episodes and the movie a little bit more. Uh, first thing, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this. You know, obviously, I've been uh, everyone's pretty much who's listening to the podcast on the website and the forums and everything over at dot com realizes for the past couple of months I've been looking for a new job. Uh, yes, I'm I'm one of the masses of those uh, people. <laughs> It made me start that uh, website jobforahero.com, uh, a couple other things. I also wanted to mention I, I set up a sort of an online interactive resume. I don't know if I did this or talked about this on the podcast before. It's over at RickDosti, uh, all one word all together, dot uh, com. RickDosti.com. Uh, what this site is is basically shows my background, skills, uh, education. I'm not turning this into a Uh, You know, a job podcast now, but the reason I'm mainly mentioning that is I am going to start doing this uh, for people uh, through donations at first and maybe maybe kind of make it uh, a little bit of a side business if possible. The idea would be, uh, and you can get in touch with me, just my normal email, SF at gmail.com if you're interested, but uh, for a fairly small fee compared to a lot of web uh, people out there and web designers and may- big companies, I'll set up uh, a kind of a professional, personal website like this for you, uh, and uh, maybe you have a position already, a job, and uh, you're just trying to uh, kind of get uh, something better, or maybe you're looking for work and want to set something up like this for yourself. Uh but I'm pretty good at this now. I, I've got a lot of different uh, ways of doing it and tweaking it to your satisfaction. And uh, so besides turning this into a big commercial, just email me, treksf at gmail.com, after you look over that site if you might be interested in having something like this for you. Uh, also, uh, future things on the podcast that I wanted to mention here before the end of the show this week, I wanted to get this in. Next week uh, on the sort of, I'm calling it the sort of pre-party show for uh, the movie we're gonna cover I'm gonna kind of I think cover all the the, the history of all the Star Trek movies real briefly a little bit uh, talk about Star Trek in general where it's been and where the future might uh, bring it or or you know maybe a hopes for that a little bit please send me audio for that show uh, at first I was gonna maybe do a video show but I think we're gonna keep next week's show audio only. So, you can send those comments in. Just talk a little bit about maybe what you think about Trek in the past, how you hope uh, it will continue in the future, and, you know, something along those lines uh, to treksf at gmail.com. What I am probably going to do, though, for next week's show is I think I'm going to make it a. Uh, a- A video broadcast type show, you know, where I do it on Ustream or maybe uh, a new site called justintv.com that I'm playing around with, something like that. If you check the main website or the forums, I will announce it here in the next day or two how that's going to go. But, you know, I've done those shows, kind of the anniversary shows and special occasions where I set up the webcam and do the show live. Uh, It'll probably be uh, recorded next, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon. Uh, which is May the 3rd, I believe, something like that, and uh, sprinkling in the clips that you send in also for the show. So I thought it'd be fun to do another web show. I haven't done that in a, in a little while. So, And then lastly, the next show uh, after that, which will be the weekend after the movie opens, will be covering the movie, basically. That will be the show. Uh, that is going to be a video show, and that show I would really love... It's probably not going to come out until Monday of that weekend, rather than Sunday. I'll need some more time on it. Probably Monday, which will be May what eleventh. I will be putting it together and putting it up. Uh, that weekend's going to be rather crazy and busy for me for a number of reasons, even besides the uh, movie. I've got to move my son uh, from one place to the other at uh, school for the summer. Uh, just lots of things. So. The uh, idea, again, for that show will be to cover the movie. Uh, I would love people to send in video, you know, a couple of minutes of what their thoughts are if they've seen the movie. Uh, It will be, you know, a very tight thing to do. You know, the movie comes out on the 8th. You'll have the weekend. Like I said, I won't be putting it finally together until on Monday. So you have kind of to Monday early to get me your little video comments and thoughts about the film. I'm sure most people listening to the show will be out seeing the movie fairly quickly. I am now, I've got tickets for the evening of May 7th, uh, the first showing, 7 p.m. to see the, the film. So uh, I will be seeing it on Thursday evening and uh, be talking all about it that weekend on the video cast. So those are the announcements. Any questions, just email me and I will try to uh, clear it up. But uh, that is what's the the future for the next couple of weeks on Treks and Sci-Fi.
3: Greetings, Guildies. I'm Kenny and I'm Jenny. When you're not listening to Treks and Sci-Fi podcast, why don't you listen to Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast of the web series The Guild? Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo!
0: Hey, it's time for news about the new Star Trek movie. Take it away, Rico.
2: Well, there have been a lot of things going on about uh, Star Trek, of course, in the news uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk much last week about it on the podcast, but uh, they've had premieres all over the place, Uh, the UK, Berlin, uh, they were in Kuwait to visit the troops, uh, the big one in Australia. Uh, Leonard Nimoy hosted one down in Texas. Uh, it's just been all over the place and crazy. Uh, the big, Some big stories in, like I said, magazines, newspapers, variety. I guess uh, really likes the movie. Again, I haven't read the reviews specifically, Been trying to avoid any more spoilers. I've had a few things uh, I've learned that I didn't really want to learn <laughs> kind of accidentally. Uh, if you just go over to startreckmovie.com uh, they have a lot of new clips and trailers up. Uh, entertainment Tonight, last week on Friday, did a little story on it. I believe it was on Friday. That's also on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, I was going to play it for you, but I don't think I will. It's a couple minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. Just search for E.T. Trek. Uh, they show some be- behind-the-scenes, a little bit of J.J. Uh, Abrams directing the cast, on the different scenes and sets uh, of the movie. It looks, uh, you know, they're really, to me, there wasn't that much spoilage in spoilage. In that uh, uh, E.T. story, they've been pretty good about it, uh, but there have been some other things floating around. And even some of these extended scenes and clips from the film, if you watch them, you can pick up little bits from the movie. So kind of depending on how much, you, what your spoiler threshold is, uh, you know, watch these kind of at your own risk. Uh, some of this stuff may uh, give away things you may want to wait. I mean, we were only less than two weeks away till the movie anyway comes out. so uh you know, lots of time uh, uh, to or not excuse me not or lots of things are uh, being revealed now as people see the movie, but not much time to go before we'll all get a chance to sit in the theater and watch it ourselves. Uh, it's also going to be showing in IMAX. There, most people know that already. If you have an IMAX theater near you, uh, that would be a fun way to see it. I'm probably going to do both. Uh, I've, I've never really liked to go to IMAX for the you know first time I see something. It becomes, uh, it's great and it's fun and it's neat to see and it's a little, uh, it's a little overwhelming though. I don't think I, I find it at least myself, even with a good kind of center seat in an IMAX theater. The the visuals of it, uh, you know, it's almost like sitting too close to a TV. Even in the center and even in—you get a little overwhelmed. It's a little hard to take the whole movie in, at least, I find. So I do like them, and it's fun to see it that way. But for the first time, I like to go to the kind of regular, you know, a nice big theater still, but something that, you know, my eyes aren't, uh, you know, only seeing about a third of the screen or whatever, and it's wrapping around me and behind me and all of that. So— uh, so anyway, that, uh, that's my plan, you know, see it at a regular theater and then go see it at, uh, you know, an IMAX later on after that. And I still haven't actually made it to the Star Trek exhibition here in Detroit. I've been kind of, uh, uh, kind of holding back. The show is here until September, so I still have several months all summer to see it. Uh, and it's fairly expensive, so uh, I've been kind of waiting a little bit on that. Uh, but uh, anyway, the movie really gearing up. I, I'm sure the celebrities are all going to be showing up on all the talk shows. I think they already have a little bit. But as we get closer, especially that week before, you know, not this coming week, but the week after, the week leading up to the the actual uh, U.S. release of the film, well, I'm sure all, all these actors, Zachary Quinto, Chris Pine, uh, and J.J., and, and even more will be showing up on all the talk shows. Uh, so watch your... Uh, you know DVRs and Tivos and check the listings cuz I'm sure they'll have interesting things to say. Uh they really seem to come off very well in interviews. There's a nice set of them on YouTube with um an interview with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto together and uh they seem to have a very good rapport which uh, I think helps a lot. You know, very similar I find to to the way Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner became good friends when they filmed the original series, you know, the you know actors doing movies uh, and TV shows probably even more so, but uh, I think it's important that they actually, you know, seem to get along pretty well. I think, especially if the movie has them being sort of friends in a way, so uh, I think that will add a lot to it. Uh, but just you know, so much in merchandise is all over the place. I picked up a few things. I picked up the uh, phaser communicator and tricorder from the film i'm going to be looking at one of those later on in the podcast Uh, what i'm going to do i think is look at one each week for the next few weeks of the uh, the little uh, landing party set uh, that they've uh, redesigned for the film Uh, pretty cool little toys put out by playmates but we'll be talking about that later in this week's podcast
4: hi this is rick moyer moyer 777 on the forums i love treks and sci-fi rico you rock And you know, you inspired me to do my own podcast. And so I have. Every week, I've started putting out a podcast called Take Him With You. And it's all about my life and the world around me. You might find it interesting. I guarantee you, you'll smile by the end of the podcast. And in a world that is kind of depressing lately, I think it's great to be encouraged every week. So would you try it out? Come take a listen. It's at www.takehimwithyou.com. It's called Take Him With You, the weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious.
2: Okay, before we get into uh, the main topic, the Menagerie uh, set of episodes from the original Trek series, I just wanted to make mention of uh, some recent donations that have come into the podcast. Uh, Those are appreciated, uh, especially those monthly recurring ones that some people have set up, you know, a few dollars each month. Uh, you can do that all over at treksinsci-fi.com. There's a donation link uh, that is very helpful. It helps to, uh, you know, continue to pay for the costs associated with doing the show. Uh, you know, new video things and clips and DVDs I have to get, and just, you know, bandwidth. It, it's it all kinds of adds up. And uh, if you guys enjoy the show, I'd appreciate a donation. That's great, and I appreciate the ones that have come in. Uh, I also wanted to say this week I'm going to try to do my review of the episode, uh, The Menagerie, a little differently. I've got about four, maybe five clips from you guys, comments uh, about the show, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to sprinkle those in as I go through some clips that I've collected from the episode itself and my comments on it. Try to mix it up a little bit rather than playing your comments all at the end, especially since I have several for this week, and uh, so that will be the way we're going to do the review of the Mastery. I found out also probably, uh, gosh, almost 100 podcasts back now, back in like 140s or so, I did kind of cover the Menagerie. If people out there who have really followed very closely what I do on the podcast, there was a special event where they put the Menagerie out um, in theaters. It was sort of in conjunction with the whole remastering effort for the original series. And my son and I went to see it, and I talked about that event and those episodes on the podcast, like I said, back in, like, episode 148. So... It kind of slipped my mind, and I probably, if I uh, had looked back, I would have probably maybe not covered it. But the real reason I wanted to cover The Menagerie this week, one of the big reasons was the movie is going to sort of be set, uh, you know, in this era a little bit of at least the early days of of Spock with Captain Pike and all. Now, uh, a lot of us already know some of those things, they are altering and changing. You can even see that from the previews. I don't think I'm giving anything away. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to go back and look at this set of episodes uh, and, and the way it was done in the original series and contrast that a little bit, and we can think about it as we go into seeing the new Star Trek film. I, I hope that kind of uh, works and makes sense. At least that was my thought on, on looking at this and uh, covering these episodes this week on Treks in Sci-Fi. To start us off, I'm going to play the uh, opening a preview uh, clip for the first episode in the menagerie and then i'll come back and kind of introduce the episodes a little bit of background on them and so forth captain's log stardate 1512.2
1: why does spock want to take us to that one forbidden world in all the galaxy his former captain mutilated by a recent space disaster unable to speak or move i have never disobeyed your orders before captain I know it is treachery against Captain Kirk, but I must do this. No vessel under any condition, emergency or
5: otherwise, is to visit Thomas Four. And to do so is the only death penalty left on our books.
1: Ah! There's a false entry in the log right now which doesn't jibe with the established facts. How do you explain that? I can't but to question Spock of all people.
0: Doctor, as senior officer present, I present myself to you for arrest. You're
6: a perfect choice.
2: So there's the uh, one-minute or so preview to the first episode of The Menagerie. Let's just give you uh, a little bit of background about this uh, very unusual set of Trek episodes. Most people are aware of this. I've talked about it a few times on the podcast before. But Star Trek, when it first started back in the 60s, and Gene Roddenberry was uh, first working on it and trying to get it uh, greenlit as a series, you know, they make these pilot shows they still do that to this day. They'll make a, a, an episode of a series, and, and then they will air it sometimes. Sometimes they don't even air it. They'll just air it for the studio people and try to decide, hey, are we going to turn this into a TV show or not? Well, Gene Roddenberry wrote a very ambitious script called The Cage, which was made into the pilot that is incorporated that story with uh, Captain Christopher Pike, not Captain James T. Kirk, is uh what is incorporated into this set of episodes in the menagerie. The Cage was the first Star Trek pilot made with a very different cast, uh, a different look to the uniforms, the the sets were slightly different. The overall, you know, story and mission was the same. It was about a starship, uh, a captain and his crew out exploring the galaxy, you know, seeking out strange new worlds and and that, but uh, you know, it had a little different tone to it the uh that pilot though the cage the network uh the classic line or the classic thing that's always been said you know is that the network said it was a little too thoughtful and a little too cerebral and a little too sci-fi i think for network television they felt you know you've got these uh, aliens with these big heads you know putting uh this captain in a cage more or less uh, and and trying to mess with his mind and, and make him believe these things uh, you know very um kind of a classic sci-fi story really and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the the, uh, episode but they again just didn't like it very much so what Gene did is he created a new uh, group or a new excuse me new uh, sort of new cast to a degree and he also made a new script Uh, that was the second pilot where no man has gone before with Kirk and Spock and and most of the things in place that would later turn into the original Star Trek series but Gene had this pilot around the cage, and, you know, in the early days of the original series, it was very fast, and they were a little script short and things like that. So Gene very cleverly decided to make a two-part episode called The Menagerie, where basically it would be sort of one of those campfire tale things, flashback in a way where he was going to take the pilot, the cage, and incorporate it into Another episode, and I I think it's just a brilliant idea, especially the way, especially the way that he does it by bringing back uh, the first captain, at least uh, as the series says it. Unlike, you know, in the animated series, there was a Captain April. But anyway, really, the first captain of the Enterprise before Kirk, Captain Christopher Pike. They meet him. Uh, He's been uh, very much injured in an accident, saving some other people, some radiation. He's in this uh, little chair. He can only kind of move it around slightly. He can blink yes or no. He can't really move. His mind is completely still there. He's just physically disabled, which to me is is like just the, the most, you know, nastiest just terrible thing to have happen to somebody especially somebody like a starship captain who's out there and doing things and just uh, I, it's just a very difficult thing to watch and and that's kind of the crux of this episode you know spock takes him kind of kidnaps him in a way to get him back to talus 4 and allow him to go back to this sort of world of imagination so that is the you, you kind of broad strokes of what this uh, whole set of episodes is about I'm going to play another clip here. Uh, this is early in the first part of The Menagerie where uh, Pike uh, meets up with Kirk and crew. And listen to this clip a little bit and keep it in mind when we watch the new movie, which I think things will be changed a bit.
5: You ever met Chris Pike?
2: We met when he was promoted to fleet captain. About your age.
1: Big, handsome, and vital active. I took over the Enterprise from Spock. Spark. Served with him for several years.
5: Eleven years, four months, five days. What's his problem, Commodore? Inspection tour of a cadet vessel. Old Class J starship. One of the baffle plates ruptured. The Delta rays? He went in bringing out all those kids that were still alive. Just wanted you gentlemen to be prepared. These gentlemen, they wanted to visit you. Two flashes mean no. I thought you might make an exception for them. I'm sorry,
1: gentlemen. Chris, if there's anything I can do for you. Captain Pike.
0: May I remain for a moment?
2: So here we learn, uh, you know, the very uh, close relationship and friendship between uh, Spock's first captain, Christopher Pike, and, uh, well, but between the two of them, between Pike and and Spock, and he's the only one there that's allowed to remain behind, and then Spock tells him, of course, his plan to take him to Talos on the Enterprise, and that sets the stage for the, the whole story, basically, yeah. Uh, Uh, Jeffrey Hunter, actor Jeffrey Hunter, played Pike in The Cage, but he wasn't available, and and the the story again goes a little bit. He was kind of expensive when they decided to do The Menagerie, so there's another actor called, uh, his name is Sean Kenny. Actually, he's going to be at the uh, Motor City Comic Con here in a few weeks. He plays uh, Pike in the little chair there in this episode, The Menagerie, instead of Jeffrey Hunter. So uh, even though these two look alike quite a bit and the, the makeup, of course, through the injuries that Pike, uh, you know, happened to him in the episode. Well, not in the episode, but they just mentioned it there when he rescued those uh, uh, cadets. He uh, they they were able to use Sean Kenny pretty well instead of uh, Jeffrey Hunter in place of uh, for Pike's role there. So uh, next clip. This is a little scene that I like a lot, kind of, again, in the first part or earlier in uh, episode one of The Menagerie. This is a little bit about Spock's character where Kirk and McCoy are on the starbase talking about, uh, you know, some of these strange things that are going on and who they might suspect of, of, you know, who's behind it.
1: Either someone sent a message diverting us here or someone on board the ship lied about receiving it.
2: Could that someone be
1: Mr. Spock? jim forgetting how well we both know spock the simple fact that he's a vulcan means he's incapable of telling a lie He's also half human and that half is completely submerged to be caught acting like us or even thinking like us would completely embarrass someone's him. interfering with my command and my ship i don't know who it is but i mean to find out even you if i thought you had the technical know-how i'd suspect you but you don't spock does he would not make a false entry. There's a false entry in the log right now which doesn't jibe with the established facts. How do you explain that? I can't, but to question Spock of all people. Me, yes. I could run off half-cock given a good reason. So could you, but not Spock. That's impossible. Dr. McCoy, report to transporter control. Dr. McCoy to transporter control. McCoy here. You need to aboard the Enterprise, doctor. Medical emergency. Well, what is it?
0: Sickness? Injury? How bad
1: is it? That's all we have on it, Doctor. Just needed a board.
5: Probably somebody discovered a hangnail. I'll beam up and let you know, Jim.
2: I wanted to comment a little bit more on actor uh, Jeffrey Hunter, who played Pike in the original The Cage uh, that I was talking about a little earlier. This actor uh, was really trying to uh, get into movies. Uh, they actually he was going to be in the second pilot in where no man has gone before. Uh, well at least he was offered it, but he turned it down. He wanted to focus more on movies. And so kind of the rest is history. you know William Shatner comes in playing Kirk and set the uh, you know the stage for the original series uh, and uh, you know a lot of Star Trek uh, to come. So, uh, But Jeffrey Hunter decided not to do the second pilot, uh, and the very tragic thing about him, though, is he died very young. He was only like 42 years old. He had a stroke, uh, and then uh, he actually had another one from what I'm uh, reading here. Uh, He had it at home, fell, hurt his head also, and died at the age of 42 in 1969. He actually died just about the time the uh, original Trek went off the air in May of that year. So very unfortunate, very sad uh, situation. Uh, somebody who uh, I thought had a lot of uh, future ahead of him in film and, and on television as well. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter uh, died uh, way too young. It's a very sad situation. So, But uh, he was C- Christopher Pike in the cage. Uh, And, you know, the thing about the cage that always, uh, you you know, makes me think about uh, another film that Roddenberry has always said, Gene Roddenberry always said, was a big influence on Trek is Forbidden Planet. When you watch the menagerie and some of those uh, scenes uh, that were put into it from the original pilot, notice how the uniforms and the style and the look and the way the crew acts with each other and, and then watch the classic sci-fi movie, uh, Forbidden Planet. There's just a, a lot of very similar things between the two of them. And I, I really like that tone. I think Trek, you know, the original series, they, they became a little bit more tight and a little more friendly, a little more close, uh, close between especially like McCoy, Kirk, and Spock. And that worked, and, and it worked to, great, uh, to a great degree. But there's a very different tone between, you know, the original series uh, the, and what they did on the cage. Of course, it was just the pilot. So who knows if they had done a full series with that, maybe they would have become a little more friendly. And, you know, Pike as a captain especially is a lot less, um, you know, he, he, he's a lot more stern, a lot more like maybe a kind of a more military and tough uh, captain guy. He comes off at least as that, uh, you know, as compared to uh, Kirk especially even in some of the early episodes of the original series, although Kirk's a little stiffer at first and then kind of loosens up over time, and that, that's to be expected. Now I'm going to play uh, one of uh, the comments from uh, one of our um, callers. Uh, this is actually, I think, over his cell phone. This is Just X, I think, from the forum talking about the Menagerie. Hey,
4: Rico, this is Chris. Just X on the forums. I thought I'd give a quick comment on the TOS episode, The Menagerie. I believe it's one of my top three favorite episodes, Next to City on the Edge of Forever and Devil in the Dark. And I really love what they did with incorporating the footage from the failed original pilot into the only two-parter of the original series.
7: I also like how
4: information and story points from the episode has found its way into pop culture references and other sci-fi television shows like Farscape, When Crichton tells the DRDs we're going to use the Captain Pike method, one beep for yes, two beeps for no, in order to communicate with them. Overall, I give it a four out of five, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Keep up the good work, Rico, and have a great podcast.
2: Thanks, uh, Chris, very much for your comments. Uh, Yeah, that was an unusual uh, voicemail from him. Uh, from his phone, so I hope you guys heard that okay. I'll try to fix it and clean it up a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, you are absolutely right, Chris. There are some references from this episode and, and that have shown up in other things like Farscape. Uh, Farscape always touched on Trek quite a bit. I think Crichton was supposed to be a pretty big fan of the series. Uh, this has also turned up on other shows like uh, South Park, for example, and just that little beepy chair that uh, Pike uh, has in these episodes that's shown up in quite a few things too so here's another clip this is i think when spock is taken into custody in the first part of the menagerie
0: doctor as senior officer present i present myself to you for arrest what the charge is mutiny doctor i never received orders to take command
5: reporting,
0: Mr. Spock. Doctor. Mr. Spock is uh, under arrest. Is confinement quarters enough? Adequate, doctor. I'll make no trouble. Well confining. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, I like how uh, how shocked uh, Dr. McCoy is there, uh, you know, about Spock's admission, uh, you know, that he's done something uh, pretty much, uh, you know, breaking all the regulations. And, you know, McCoy's just like, well, confine him. You know, it's he's just not used to that at all. It it really shocks him. And it's done. Uh, DeForest Kelly does a great job there. Yeah, I wish he would have had a little bit more involvement in the trial. That would have been one thing that would have been a little more interesting if he had been there as well. Uh, I think he's in the room, but he doesn't really get a chance to do or say a whole lot. So um, next up related to that is uh, when they start looking at these trial logs, it's, it's very uh, surprising to Kirk and Mendez uh, about you know what these things are because they, they mention how starships don't make records like this. And there's a very slick explanation. Obviously, Roddenberry, when he wrote this two-parter, he wanted to include all this cool footage and everything that they did in the original uh, Pilot the Cage. And it, it turns out it's the Talosians, actually, that have been sort of feeding this information to uh, the, um, the court-martial board, uh, which you learn out later in, these, uh, in the episode. But uh, in order to see this scene, well, Spock had to sort of def- deflect the question of where, where did all this stuff come from?
5: Mr. Spark, I'm truly amazed at your technical prowess in somehow manufacturing all this I congratulate you on your imagination but this is a court of space law not a theater
0: Captain please tell the court this is not imagination nor some clever photographic record are we seeing the actual events of 13 years ago yes gentlemen on that screen as it happened the incredible experience of Captain Christopher Pike on Talus IV. If, after witnessing this, the court wishes to turn this vessel back, I will release this ship to manual control.
5: You're in no position to bargain. This is ridiculous. This man mutinied, stole your ship, abducted Captain Pike. Well, for me, this has gone far enough. No, we still haven't heard the full story. I vote to continue. Then I vote we do not deadlock. sign a deadlock. I'm... There's still one member of the trial board to be heard from. Very well. Captain Pike, it's up to you. Do we continue under these conditions? Yes.
2: Yeah, that's actor uh, Malachi Thorn, Thorn, Throne, Throne, I think is how you say his last name, playing uh, Commodore Mendez here. He's still around. He still acts in theater. He's like 81 or so. Out in California, uh, interesting thing here is he actually, when they did the cage pilot, he did the voice for the keeper. But when they had to redo it in the Menagerie set of episodes, uh, actor of uh, Vic Perrin, who uh, did the voice work on The Outer Limits, I think the intro in that, uh, they had him do the keeper's voice, re-record that those lines, because uh, Malachi was in these... Uh, episode the menagerie really couldn't do both and they want they didn't want the voice to be that similar so a little bit of uh trivia there uh next we're going to play another comment about these episodes this one's from our uk friend meds so take it away meds uh his is about two minutes and 48 seconds long so he will comment about these episodes uh, here we go
8: hi Vika, this is meds from waffle Line, and this is just a small comment regarding your future episode menagerie when I first saw this in the early 1980s, I remember loving the uh, clips of going back to the old Enterprise, although even then at a young age, I couldn't quite figure out how you were seeing what was going on in the Enterprise by going through space and into the top of the bridge. Um, I remember being slightly annoyed by that and looking at my toy Enterprise and seeing, well, I don't get how they do that. Um, small things, but you know what us geeks are like. Um and I didn't really think much else of it until recently when I went back and saw the episode. Um, thinking about modern technology now, um, I find it really hard to believe that a injured captain like Pike um, can only just about sit in a chair, looking like Davros from Doctor Who, with two flashing lights. You'd think uh, in a an era where you have um, starships, you know in <laughs> shooting around the galaxy that they'd come off with something better stephen hawkins is a classic example that man can do uh, astrophysics and with a, a slight twitch in a nervous system in his eye let's go figure about that one then eh? <laughs> it's only a picky thing um the also thing as well was when i was looking at it i was thinking i could never understood why they didn't get back uh, the reason actor to who played pike to play this part um, Where well, he must have been probably contracted to do something else. I know he he died recently after Star Trek ended. But Sean Kinney, I think his name is, played um, the injured Pike, and he was actually in two other episodes of Star Trek. He was in Arena and A Taste of Armageddon, playing the Paul. And when you actually look at him, there is a similarity to um, Jeffrey Hunter, who played original Pike, but when you think about the makeup, that's actually put on him. You could have just generally used anybody, I suppose. But um, there we go. That's the world of Star Trek. Um, at this point, as well, uh, according to um, the information you given, Spock had worked with Pike for eleven years. Now, I understand that, that the fact that Vulcans are obviously you know they look they, look, they can be look younger and when, when actually considerably older, but it blows the uh, the impression of Spock working with Kirk for the new film. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, it's a, it's a great episode. Going back and watching it now, I still haven't seen the remastered and updated version because we don't seem to get them over here in England. Or if they have, they've probably been on some cable channel that I don't have. So hopefully when um, the, uh, the, the money gets uh, a little bit better, I can buy the updated versions on either Blu-ray. That does mean me having to buy a Blu-ray player. Hmm. Uh, and watching it then. Anyway, thanks for uh, doing this episode, Rico, and uh, keep up the good work, old boy. Chin chin.
2: Yeah, good point about the technology with Pike. Uh, I, I guess the the idea is he, you know, he was suffered such massive radiation and all the effects that that's all they could do for him. I, I think it's kind of interesting, though. You're right with with what they do these days. What you know, what they would be capable of in the future for medical advances, but. Uh, That For some reason, that part of the show, maybe when I first saw it because it was such a long time ago, it never really bothered me that much about it. Uh, Yeah, the the remastered ones are definitely worth seeing. They did quite a few cool effects for this, and that's why I think they released it in theaters back in uh, November of, I think it was 2007. They have some cool uh, shots of the shuttle with Mendez and Kirk in it chasing after the Enterprise, some new things on the Starbase, and just a few little other touches that they put in uh in these episodes to make them more interesting to see so thanks very much for your comments meds uh next up we're going to get into part two uh and this is uh let's see where are we at uh i think eh, i'm gonna have to pause it here i got a few clips to play oh yes this is the one about just saying how they want uh pike back it's a fairly short clip so listen to this
5: who is she why have they stopped the images
0: because they know that captain pike is fatigued we can reconvene later
1: then they care
0: about the captain. They want him back, alive, sir. I demand to know why. If you'll be patient, sir, the answers to your que- You're forgetting you're on trial, Spock. You will answer all questions put to you. My answer to your question would be quite unbelievable, sir. I regret we'll have to wait and see it there.
2: yeah so the uh Telosians, or as my brother would like to call them uh the head butt people <laughs> who you know'cause there was large heads they have, and if you notice the back of their heads, they sort of curve in and look like they have kind of uh, frankly two little uh, butt cheeks <laughs> oh maybe, do I need to bleep that? I don't think you have to bleep that, but anyway, uh the Telosians want Captain Pike back uh into their world of illusion and uh I wanted to mention uh, how, to me, how innovative the idea of this whole uh, episode is, even the cage and when they bring it into the menagerie. You know, this idea of these aliens who have the power of illusion in their minds to create kind of any world for themselves. There's so many other TV shows and movies that have sort of taken on this thing. You know, think about the holodeck on... uh, the, you know, TNG and things like that where you can create this virtual world. Think about all the video games that we have these days and how it gets more and more immersive. Think about the movie series The Matrix. That one, to me, is very much like this. In other words, you know, Neo is given that chance to to live in sort of the real world or have a life of illusion. And and, and that is exactly what the, they're saying and doing in this. You know, these aliens, uh, they have, uh, you know, they're... they're Power of their mind—you—you you can just sort of be caught up in it so much that you believe everything that they're sort of feeding you, and it, it's a—it's a theme that runs through Trek and a lot of other episodes as well, and, and sci-fi in general. But uh, you know, being done back in the early '60s, th- this was—you uh, know—pretty innovative, and you know, the idea that anything your mind is so powerful—you know—it's just like having a dream and how vivid and how real it can seem sometimes. And then you wake up and you kind of go, oh, that's reality. So uh, if anyone has seen, and oh, I I should mention it too, I did see that new uh, Battlestar uh, thing, the Galactica uh, pilot Caprica this past week. And I won't say that much about it. I did enjoy it. Uh, It's a lot different than Galactica was. But there is a big part of that uh, movie that is related to sort of a virtual life and a virtual world that sets the stage for a lot of things that will happen probably in the Caprica series and in Galactica in general. So just similarities all over the place from uh, this set of episodes. And, you know, sci-fi has done it even before in novels and stories and things. This wasn't the first, but it is something I think that's been looked at uh, quite a bit over the years and sort of, been a springboard for other things that we've seen. Next, I want to play another comment from a listener. This is from Joe Billy Bob on the forums, and his comments on The Menagerie.
9: Hey Rico, hey Trex and Sci-Fi, this is Joe from Toronto, Billy Bob from the forums, and uh, just wanted to give you a couple of comments on The Menagerie. Uh, I've always really liked this episode, and uh, personally from a television standpoint, I think it's kind of a stroke of genius. You know, Roddenberry and whoever else was in charge at the time kind of saying, well, we have this episode that has been done and that we think is very good and that we think our fans might like, but the network hated. But Spock's in it, so let's tie it in. And they did, and I think it works very well. I think it works very well that they brought in Captain Pike, though I believe he wasn't portrayed by jeffrey hunter in the episode though i might be wrong about that actually no i think that is the case because otherwise they would have made him talk and um yeah it's just it's 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 very cool that they could integrate it like that and um actually i didn't realize until i had watched it again that uh it's very gripping you know i i obviously knew what happened at the end but watching it you get nervous and, you know, because Spock is acting so out of character and, you know, kind of going off on his own and disobeying everything and, you know, risking court-martial and death and all this to protect his old, or to protect or to help his old captain is, is an incredible story, especially kind of from Spock's character point of view. Um, aside from that, the beginning of the episode reminded me a lot of uh, of Star Trek six. Or I guess Star Trek Six reminded me of this episode which, since it came first, because um there was a lot of kind of a, a who done it kind of oh the computer tapes have been falsified and we have to figure out, you know, where this came from and and all that. So, you know, watching that I went, Wow, this is a lot like Star Trek Six and uh that was another cool tie in that that I could make. So, uh to keep my comments short, overall, uh, amazing episode, very well done, great idea to, to use the original pilot that got shot down, and um, thank you very much, and uh, thank you, Rico, for the podcast.
2: Thank you, Joe, for your comments. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting comment uh, about the whole Star Trek Six connection and how, you're right, they do a lot of that in this, there's sort of that whodunit uh, factor, you know, somebody could falsify the records, who could do that, who was capable of that, uh, another thing that this episode, these episodes, really point out to me is how loyal Spock is. You know, this you eventually see in his loyalty and what he do for for Kirk and what he eventually even does in Wrath of Khan. You know, uh, a Vulcan, very you know supposedly logical and you know not uh, you know filled filled with emotions, uh, but the loyalty that he shows Pike in this, and eventually you know he grows into that for Kirk as well. Uh, is just superb, and I think Leonard Nimoy pulls it off so well. It also shows so much to me in these episodes, how dangerous uh, Spock or any Vulcan would be, maybe not any Vulcan, but Spock especially, and what he can do with the Enterprise and the computers and everything like that if he kind of went, you know, bonkers and went rogue and decided to do something. I mean, he is a dangerous adversary. And they kind of bring that out in the episode Mirror Mirror of the original series, you know, how how he would be uh, somebody that you'd really have to be concerned about if he went against you. So thanks, Joe, again. Appreciate your comments. Uh, next, uh, back to the episode itself. Uh, next clip here is uh, back on Earth and home uh, with Vina and Pike.
0: You're home. You can even stay if you want. But we're not here, neither of us. We're in a menagerie, a cage. No. I can't help either one of us if you won't give me a chance you told me once they used illusions as a narcotic. They couldn't even repair the machines left by their ancestors. Is that why they want us? To build a colony of slaves? Stop it!
6: Don't you care what they'll do to us?
0: Back in my cage, it seemed for a couple of minutes that our keeper couldn't read my thoughts. Do emotions like hate, keeping hate in your mind, does that block off our mind from them?
6: Yes. They can't read through primitive emotions. But you can't keep it up for long enough. I've tried. They keep at you and at you year after year, tricking and punishing. And they won. They own me. I know you must hate me for
0: that. Oh, no, I don't hate you. I can guess what it was like.
6: That's not enough. Don't you see? They read my thoughts, my feelings, my dreams of what would be a perfect man. That's why they pit you. I can't help but love you. And they expect you to feel the same way.
0: If they can read my mind, then they know I'm attracted to you. I was from the very first moment I saw you in the survivors' camp. You were like a, a wild little animal.
6: I'm beginning to see why none of this has worked for you. You've been home, and uh, fighting is on Rigel. That's not new to you either. A person's strongest dreams are about what he can't do. Yes, a ship's captain always having to be so. Formal, so decent and honest and proper. You must wonder what it would be like to forget all that.
2: Yeah, that uh it's a good set of uh, little scenes there. They're basically keep showing Pike different scenes and trying to get him to sort of fall in love with Vina, and also to accept this uh, world of illusion and to kind of forget that he's actually in this menagerie, in this cage, in this zoo almost. Um, Then that leads to the scene where uh, Vina is the green Orion slave girl dancing around, a classic scene from original Trek and led to all the green Orion slave girls throughout the uh, years in other Star Trek series, especially Enterprise brought that back quite a bit. Uh, One thing about that is that green makeup... When they the studio you know was getting the film developed and the footage for this, the uh, <laughs> when they they developed it they color corrected it and they kept trying to make her white again, and so this happened a couple of times when they were developing the footage as they were filming that scene you know they they thought oh why is this girl green and they kept trying to color correct the dance scene there for Vina and uh, they had to eventually tell them no don't color correct it she is supposed to be green so uh, kind of an interesting little tidbit there. Next up, I want to play another comment here. This is from Rick Moyer about the Menagerie.
4: Hi Rico, this is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen. I just wanted to quickly comment on the Menagerie. This was such a cool show. The way that they incorporated the pilot into a two-part episode, and what I liked about it the most, I think, was the creativeness behind that. The um, just the whole idea of this this thing being played on the screens. And then, of course, the twist at the end when you, when you realize, wow, this is all made up by the, the aliens to uh, get them back to the planet and all this stuff. It's just really, really a cool idea. I liked it. I also really enjoyed it a, a couple of years ago, I think it was now, that, or maybe a year and a half or so. I can't remember exactly what the time frame was when... A bunch of us went to the movie theater and they had remastered it, you know, on the remastered version. Put it on the screen and we all got to watch it on the big screen. And that was really a treat as well. So, uh, great episode. It really is the essence of Star Trek. Lots of cool stuff in it. Love the the episodes back to back like that. Very, very cool. Thanks for reviewing them. Thanks for Treks and Sci-Fi. What a cool website. What a cool podcast. It just rocks. Thanks, Rico.
2: And thank you, Rick, for your comments. And uh, especially, again, thanks again for the interview that we did last week. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to to, uh, do similar things in the near future. Uh, Back to the episode. I've got just one more uh, clip to play. This is near the end of Part 2 when Pike decides to go back to Talos 4. And, you know, he's stuck in that chair, or he can have this life of illusion with Vina. Well, I'd know which one I'd pick, uh, and uh, it's a pretty obvious choice, I think. (laughs) Chris, do you want to go there?
1: Mr. Spark, would you care to take Captain Pike to the transporter room? See him off. Thank you, sir. For both of us. Mr. Spock, when you're finished, please come back and see me. I want to talk to you. This regrettable tendency you've been showing lately towards flagrant emotionalism. You see no reason to insult me, sir. I believe I've been completely logical about the whole affair.
3: Captain Kirk? <laughs>
6: find your way as pleasant.
2: So Pike returns to tell us for uh, to, uh, to live with Vina uh, happily ever after. hopefully. Uh, I've got one more comment from uh, our good friend Daryl, a uh, big fan of the original series, I know, and always has some interesting things to say uh, when he sends in his commentary on uh, whatever we might be talking about. So here's, here's Daryl. Oh Daryl, I'm goofing up when I'm doing your intro. Let me do. It. And here we have Daryl talking about the menagerie.
3: Hi, Daryl here. Some may think that The Menagerie was the first episode made and aired. Neither of these is true. The first pilot was called The Cage. NBC just didn't get the pilot and thought it was too cerebral for a TV audience, essentially calling their audience too stupid to get it. Star Trek was then given a second chance, which was unheard of in 1966, and a second pilot was ordered. This pilot was called Where No Man Has Gone Before this is what gave Star Trek its life. The menagerie really had nothing to do with Star Trek's beginning. The menagerie was created by taking pieces of the original pilot and combining it with new footage. This, the only two-part original Star Trek episode, was shown as episodes 11 and 12 in November of 1966. Paramount thought so little of the cage that only a 16mm black and white copy of the cage was made, and the original color copy was thought destroyed until it was found in an unmarked container by a film archivist in 1986. In 1967, the Menagerie won the Hugo for Best Dramatic Presentation. The only other Star Trek episode to achieve this honor was 1968's The City on the Edge of Forever. The whole story behind the cage, the menagerie, and Star Trek's beginning is fascinating and could fill an entire show of its own. Well, I'm already out of time, but before I go, here's one interesting fact. Did you know that the Talosians were actually played by old women and voiced by men? Originally, men were tested with the Talosian makeup, but simply looked like men in big heads and not alien enough, so old women played the parts. Okay, back to you, Rico.
2: Thanks very much, Daryl. Appreciate your uh, fact-finding and very nice uh, work on the details of these episodes, Uh, some of those things I mentioned. The Hugo Award, yeah, that's basically the, you know, there's a a World Science Fiction Convention every year for a long time now. I don't know what year they're up to, but it's usually in the fall, and the Hugo Award is given for these um, at the convention, for you know, best dramatic presentation, and like Daryl said, the Menagerie won it, and also City on the Edge of Forever, my favorite original series episode, won it as well. So uh, you know, good uh, good job, guys, and uh, just a great set of episodes. And again, hats off to Gene Roddenberry for figuring out, figuring a way to incorporate uh, his uh, kind of failed pilot into a, a two-parter, a very compelling two-parter and give us an insight to the early days of Spock and, you know, with Pike and everything like that. Now, we'll have to kind of keep this in mind in the back of our heads just slightly when we watch the new movie and see how things sort of develop in that. Uh, I think we are going to be a little bit, uh, well, I think we're not going to be all that bothered at the end of it all from what I know. So with that, I am now going over to uh, play a... Uh, book review we have our buddy good old friend the duffster back with a book review for you a science fiction uh exclusive here on treks and sci-fi so take it away duffster i'll be back after his comments about the book he's read uh, and talk about the collectible review
10: everyone
7: this is duffster and this is your Treks and sci-fi science fiction book review well today is something a little different it's not a science fiction book but it's an audiobook i'm reviewing this is the latest book by david weber called storm from the shadows it's uh... it's not based honor harrington's not the main character like a lot of his other books are but it is in the same universe with a lot of the same characters Honor Harrington is in the book, but uh, she's not the main protagonist in this book. Uh, the main protagonist is Michelle Hankey, and that's a, a friend and relative of honors from past books. I have always been a big fan of David Weber and uh, the whole Honor Harrington series. I, I really think that his description of space battles and space tactics is above, better than just about anything else I've ever read. I don't know if anybody listening to the Trex and Sci-Fi podcast has has read Robert Ludlum books, but one of my favorite things about his books is the intricate plots, and you just go on an incredible journey through the ins and outs, and you really don't know what's going on a lot of times in the book until the end. Well, David Weber has really come into his own in that respect also in the sci-fi type environment uh, with with huge empires at war, uh, manipulations by huge corporate planets. Uh, the main bad guys in most of the books lately have always been uh, the People's Republic of Haven, and that's an ongoing war with Manticore, which is Honor Harrington's uh, navy. Um, they've always talked about another huge navy in this universe called the Slorian League Navy. Um, and we get to find a lot more about that environment and that navy in this um, book. Um, Manpower Incorporated is the bad guys, in a lot of the a lot of the other books also. Boy, they're getting worse and worse. <laughs> By the end of this book, you really despise these guys. But um, it, I tell you what, this this story is intricate. It's got all kinds of navies at war on tactics and and surprise things that pop up on you uh, i've always found that if you're reading or listening to a book and something happens to me you go whoa, i can't believe that uh, that's horrible well that, that's a sign of a pretty good book that, especially if it can you you, you kind of see it coming you're like no that's not gonna happen and bam well that happened multiple times within this book it, it's, a, it's a long audiobook um I got it off Audible. Um, it's it was in four parts. It's probably about thirty hours of listening, but I was I was gripped the whole time. Now, the one thing I do have to say about David Woodward also is he's very very descriptive and intricate. A lot of his conversations will provide so much background information on a certain subject from the 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 point of view of the person that's speaking that at times it can get kind of aggravating. There were times in this book where there was some action right about ready to happen and they switched the scene to um, another area and uh, you're you're like, come on, get back, get back to the action. But in this case, none of that really distracted me enough from the book to not be wanting to hear more about it. So this is definitely a great read. Um, you probably shouldn't jump into the Honor Harrington books at this because there's a lot of other things that it refers to in this book. Uh, you probably could, but you probably would have a big curve on learning a lot. Of, you know, realize what they're talking about for a lot of things. Um, so definitely pick this one up, read it. It, it is definitely an excellent, excellent book. And uh, by the way, I just got one last thing to say. Thanks a lot for Rick Moyer for the, the new music and intro and out out takes for this uh, little thing uh, thanks rick i appreciate it so uh, this is Dubster and uh ta-ta for now
10: this, this has been, been your tricks in sci-fi, sci-fi. book review with, you, with duster. duster and then don't forget to read, to read more sci-fi, sci-fi.
2: Well, thanks very much for that book review, Dufster. Uh, very nice to see you back on the forums uh, and also to have another book review. I've never read any of those books, and I'll uh, have to check them out. Huh? Right now, I'm reading the fourth in the Star Trek Titan book series called Sword of Damocles, uh, which is pretty interesting, and I've been enjoying those uh, books. I uh, just had that book four sitting around for a while and haven't got a chance. But again, thanks for your book review, Dufster. Now, we're going to talk about a collectible review. Uh, I want to say that I don't know of any of this that I'm going to talk about since I'm going to be looking at these new prop collectibles from Playmates from the Star Trek movie will be considered any kind of spoiler material. I I will have pictures of these items up on the uh, website uh, in the collectible gallery. Uh, and uh, you'll be hearing a few little sound effects and deals like that. I don't know. I like to, to, to warn people. I don't think there's anything about the one I'm going to be talking about this week, which is the tricorder, the new tricorder that will be seen or is being seen, depending on where you're at, I guess, uh, in the new movie, in the Star Trek movie. The overall thing for these, uh, as I look at these uh, three, I got all three, the communicator, tricorder, and phaser. Uh, the phaser and communicator I'll talk about on in future installments this week. The tricorder... They tried to at least take some of the original designs of these items and sort of incorporate them in what they did for the movie with sort of some updates and, uh, you know, some slight other changes. I am not completely sure these are supposed to be a one-to-one scale to the movie props. I think it's close, but I'm not positive, so I can't really say, and I'm looking, trying to find out uh, in the box or packaging, but sometimes toys tend to be scaled down just a little bit because they're, you know primarily designed for kids in that but the the Phaser at least looks fairly much you know fairly full size it's again uh, I, more of this will come out I'm sure over on the prop forums and things like that uh, maybe somebody out there listening knows so i'm just going to go with the idea that these are pretty close to 1 to 1 scale to the movie props themselves with that in mind the tricorder that i'm holding in my hands that i just took out of the package it's rather small, you know, it's more along the lines to me in size of the next-gen, the TNG tricorder sizes that they had, very palm-sized, kind of, you know, about iPod, iphone size, you know, item, a little thicker than those kinds of things, but it's styled very much like the original tricorder in a way. It's got sort of a curved top uh, and a a little hinged front that flips open. There's a little... Uh, switch on the side, a little mechanical switch, you'll hear a sound effect when you open it up. I'll close it up again here. And then uh, there are three lights on the front. Uh, uh, Let's see. They're uh, yellow, green, and red. And uh, that, again, is keeping with there are three little lights on the uh, tricorder from the original series. And there's also a couple of buttons inside the front panel when you flip it open. Uh, one's labeled scan one, and one's labeled scan two. There's a couple of LEDs also uh, inside. Uh, one says ERM, one says read. There's an amber one and a green one. When you push scan one, well, you get a short noise sometimes. If you push it again, pretty neat effect if you hold the button and you get that. Scan two. And when you do this the lights go uh, also. I'll push it again and you get a little beep. There's this clicky noise you can get it, when you hold the buttons in they'll make different sounds and then eventually the sound stops after and the lights are flashing while the sounds are going on That's a very similar to the original tricorder. That one especially, I think, is very original tricorder sound. Again, the lights kind of flash in the front. There's a little uh, applique at the top uh, with uh, probably on the props for the movie lights up. They look like they'd be little LEDs, but it's just a little sticker on the on this prop toy here. Uh, it also kind of blinks the lights and makes a little sound when you shut it as well. It's pretty well built. It's it's basically plastic construction. There's like six screws in the back and access plate for the. Uh, for where the batteries go, it comes battery. It comes with batteries. It's made by Playmates. Uh, again, I, I just think the size is a little small. There's a sort of a little speaker area on the front. It's pretty much done in black and chrome. Uh, it's a nice little item. Uh, they cost uh, pretty much uh, like the usual toys from Playmates, uh, who used to do all the Star Trek stuff. This is uh, 15, I think 15.99. It was at Toys R Us. And uh, it's nice. I, I think they uh, they tried to keep some of again the original styling of the items for the movie with some again updates as well. So uh, that's the tricorder from Playmates uh, from this Star Trek movie coming out on May seventh.
0: Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to TrekSF at gmail.com or visit www.trexandsci-fi.com Trex and Sci-Fi with Rico Dustin
2: Well, folks, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Trex and Sci-Fi. Please also, if you get a chance, if you enjoy the show, uh, again, I appreciate downloads every week. That's great. Visit the website, treksinsci ficom the main page. I'm always trying to update that with new information. Also, an iTunes review, uh, anything like that would be great, even if you've done one. Do another one or have your friend do one or tell them what to write. Uh, only good ones, of course. <laughs> uh, next week, again, I've already talked about the next couple of weeks of shows. So next week will be that live uh, webcam-type show uh, being recorded next Sunday, probably early afternoon, Eastern uh, time, Eastern Daylight Time. And then in two weeks, we'll do the video show all about the new movie. So until then, everyone, I'm going to take us out with a song here and uh, get off editing the show and uh, have a little lunch first, though, I think. It's about noon. Running a little behind this week. But uh, I think we covered a lot, and I enjoyed it, as always, talking to all of you. Uh, And that's it. Join us on the forums if you haven't yet. We're uh, a lot of fun. And that's all. Bye-bye, folks. See you next time. Talk to you again soon. Bye.
0: 2009 All Rights Reserved Tricks in Sci-Fi